about 200 universities in the United States in their medical classes have a class called spirituality mm -hmm. and health that has been integrated because recent studies, I think one of the pioneers in this was Dr. Harold Koenig at Duke University, who showed the relationship between spirituality and health. So a question that I would ask is this, if we know that there is an impact of spirituality on our health, if we know that people from the studies that pursue healthy spirituality. Now, there can be an unhealthy spirituality that is unhealthy for our health. But if we know that people pursue a healthy spirituality where they have a commitment to God and a deep lasting faith, and they have a peace from that and a freedom from guilt and a freedom from condemnation, if indeed that takes place in their life and they have this trust in God and an understanding that God is in control, an understanding of heaven and the hereafter, if that produces lower stress, if it produces lower anxiety, if it produces better health, and if people who are spiritual and religious will have better health practices, in other words, they're less likely to smoke, they're less likely to drink alcohol, they're less likely to have a poor diet. If we know all that and don't help them pursue some kind of spirituality, some kind of faith in their life, is that unethical? Mm -hmm. So, we get our model from Jesus. Jesus was the master healer. And you remember in Matthew chapter four, verse 29, it says Jesus went about teaching and preaching and healing. So most of Jesus' time was spent in healing, but he always integrated the, mm -hmm. the spiritual. Now you say, Doc, well, Jesus wasn't paid for that and I'm paid for that. Yeah. That's why we use a principle called permission. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I suggest to doctors, dentists, medical professionals, is as they are going along in the conversation with an individual, and they, they can ask something like this, where do you get most of your support when you are facing a health challenge? And somebody will say, well, I get my support from my wife or my husband and so forth. Some people may say, I get my support from my faith. That helps you to know where they're at in spiritually. Then you can ask another question. You can say, does one of the things that recent studies have found is that spirituality plays a major portion in our health. Have you probed the spiritual very much? A person say, oh, no, I haven't done that at all. A person say, oh, oh, I'm a Christian. Um, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Protestant. You're learning a little bit about them. You're taking what I would call is a spiritual inventory. Mm -hmm. Another thing that is extremely helpful is to say something like this. You know, you may be aware or not, but I'm a Christian physician, I'm a Christian dentist. And I would like to, I like to pray for, with each of my patients. Would that be uncomfortable for you or may I pray with you? I think asking people permission then takes away the idea of this being unethical mm -hmm. because it's not something we're trying to force. We're not trying to superimpose our religious values. We're simply trying to open the door of opportunity for to pray with them, knowing that as we pray with them, that will enable them to have greater confidence in our ability as healthcare providers. In some of the recent studies about prayer, when patients are asked, would you like your physician to pray with you, depending on the study you look at, 
But in some of the studies, I've noticed 84, 85% of the patients say, yes, I would like that. And then when they were asked why, they made an interesting observation. They said, because it gives me confidence that if the doctor is praying that God is working with that doctor, either whether I believe in God or not, some of them have said, but, but I have greater confidence in the physician. Have you found that to be so, uh, doctor? And how have you found it to be so? Well, absolutely. So I've had so much feedback from patients and, and even particularly their families that will just stop me after um, I've prayed either before they're going to go into the heart cath lab or after we've finished the procedure and they'll just say, Dr. Schwartz, it just meant so much that you stopped and prayed. Um, what I've come to realize, actually a friend of mine, um, um, Kelly Kinsley kind of pointed out to me, but I've come to realize that this is absolutely true, is that when I stop from focusing on the medical part and I focus on them spiritually, uh-huh. um, whether they even perceive that spiritually or not, they, they perceive it as compassion. They actually, so yes, I'm getting paid to provide medical care, but they perceive that when I stop and pray that I actually care about them and they perceive that it's going above and beyond what I'm being paid for. So I don't see it as an unethical thing. The one take home principle that I left Cahutta Springs 15 years ago with after being inspired by what you shared uh, was the idea of asking permission. And so I have now gotten very comfortable at just ending every single patient encounter by saying, and I pray with every person in my office, I pray before every surgery, every pacemaker, every case, every heart cath. Um, Basically, every time I see a patient, I just simply say, by the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients Mm -hmm. is to have a prayer. Is that something that you would appreciate? And uh, I have literally had in... 15 years of doing this now, maybe a dozen times where somebody has said no. How do you respond when they say no? I try to quickly change the subject, <laughs> but I just say, okay, I'm, that's quite all right. And uh, I'll just change the subject. Now I do have some patients say, oh, I'm not religious, but if it's important to you or if you want to, you can. And I said, well, I always want to. So I go ahead and do that. I've wondered about whether I'm imposing that, but several of those patients that have at first said no, have later told me, you know, I really appreciated that. Just um, just the other day, and then I'll back up to a story that happened right after I came back that first year. And by the way, if it doesn't, if they all say no at first, don't let that discourage you. My partner, Dr. Hahn, <laughs> came to the seminar about eight years ago. He'll be doing a seminar this afternoon. And he said that he decided that he would try it. He came back to our practice, and we live in the Bible Belt. Um, and I think it's just the way he was doing it was, was so quick that caught him by surprise. But he said the very first eight patients he offered to pray with all <laughs> said no. And he said, if this keeps happening, I'm done at 10. And then the ninth person said, okay. And then the 10th said, okay. And he's been praying with his patients ever since. But there is... A comfort level that we have to get comfortable projecting this as if this is a natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's as if, of course, I would pray. So, and I, and before I forget, I do, I got two stories to tell, but I do want to pick up on the idea of uh, violating ethics and what you said. I think it is actually, if we believe what we believe, mm-hmm. that we are imparting medical knowledge that may extend a person's life a few days, a few months, or a few years, but we know 
and have a connection with spiritual life that could give a patient eternity. It's medical malpractice not to connect our patients to the source of true healing. It's medical malpractice not to be in, in, including spirituality if you believe that there is eternal life. It's metal, medical malpractice not to be doing that. But just the other day, I had this kind of, he's a, he uh, is a bodybuilder, um, young guy in his 30s, pretty with it. Um, he uh, runs a gym where he teaches self-defense. Mm -hmm. And of course, things have been slowed down due to covid and uh, you can just tell he's kind of a, a cool guy. I don't know the best way to describe it, but, mm -hmm. but just said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is pray. And he's like, uh, 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 well, he just caught him completely by surprise. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't really believe in God, but uh, uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> so he came back um, just four weeks later. We did some tests and came back four weeks later. And he said, Dr. Schwartz, I have to tell you that when you asked to pray with me, it caught me completely off guard. I have never had a doctor ask me that before. And he said, I really hadn't thought about spiritual things in a long time, but that got me thinking. And I've been thinking about it since. And he said, the reason I came back is because you prayed with me. Wow. Let me that ask, opened the door for more spiritual conversation. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that, Doc. To be very practical, when you offered to pray with him, it was a little awkward moment mm -hmm. and you bowed your head to pray kind of what kind of prayer would you pray for a bodybuilder <laughs> <laughs> um early on i prayed just about the same prayer and it was a simple prayer with just about everyone now i've come to start asking them if there's anything in particular i can pray for and usually they'll mention a family member um, but in his case his business had been struggling um and of course he was there for a heart problem and not real serious, but uh, he, he wasn't sure if it was or wasn't at that point. He did resonate on some of the health principles, a good diet and plant-based diet, because he's really, we talked about some videos he could watch and he kind of resonated with those. And so I just prayed that, um, that we don't suspect this is gonna be a serious heart problem, but that the test would come back very positive mm -hmm. and that we could be sure. And that uh, God would bless his business and that God would bless his family. And he actually took great help in that. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had somebody that you've prayed with that felt, Doc, am I going to die because you were praying with him? I've had uh, one patient say that, only once. Now, the fact that I tell them that I do this with everybody relieves them. I wanted you to say that because that's really a key point. Mm -hmm. I think if you just say to a person, you know, you're here for heart. Uh, I better pray. I better pray. You know <laughs> <laughs> they think things are really bad. Yeah. Come back to your two stories. <laughs> yep. So that was the one story. And uh, I actually gave him now some tracks. Um, he's totally receptive. He has now told other people that Dr. Schwartz prayed and he was a, not a particularly, he wasn't agnostic or atheist, but religion was not something he had been thinking about. And then once I prayed with him and in the setting of COVID and all the things that are happening, he began asking some spiritual questions that he hadn't asked before. Mm -hmm. But this is a story I tell every time I do this seminar. So you've heard it a dozen times now, <laughs> but this was a, basically in the first year. So let me preface this. So in the first few, in the first year of doing this, I came back convicted that I needed to pray, mm -hmm. but I came back convicted that I needed to pray with the good Christian people <laughs> that it would be meaningful too. 
And so I would look at the guy in the shirt and the tie and I'd say, by the way, is it all right if I had a prayer? Mm -hmm. um, the guy in the tank top or the rough neck, rough looking guy with all the tattoos, I wasn't quite so comfortable bringing that up. Um, the, uh, but it got to the point where I couldn't keep straight who I could pray with and who I couldn't. And if they came back for a return visit and I didn't offer to pray the next time, they would actually stop and say, aren't you going to pray? And so it, I quickly became to the idea that I needed to actually pray with everyone. And then I realized the guy in the shirt and the tie didn't get tears in his eyes when I prayed with him. But the guy that had the cutoff sleeves and the tattoos and the bandana around his head is the one that started sobbing when I offered to pray with him. And so I can't judge just on the superficial aspect who's going to truly respond and see it as the biggest blessing. Yeah. So... I had a patient come, come in just a little bit, about nine months after I started learning that I need to pray with patients and right, right around the time of the first Amen conference. Because I was able to share some of these stories of the very first Amen conference and hence we've been doing this seminar ever since. But um, this is the patient that was God's way of telling me that I needed to continue doing this, even though it was also powerful for him. And it's got many, many aspects to it. Um, but his name is, uh, I forgot his name, but he's allowed me to actually tell his story. But uh, yeah, his name was Ron. And Ron was also uh, about 38 years old. Um, his uh, father had died of a heart attack at the age of 37. Mm -hmm. So that's hanging over his head. He was under a tremendous amount of stress. His job was a little bit at jeopardy. He was working an hour away down in Cincinnati. He rode his motorcycle down there and back. He looked like a motorcycle gang sort of guy. He did have a bandana on. He had a cutoff t-shirt and over that a vest. And he weighed about 320 pounds. Of course, he smoked. He binge drank on the weekends. He confided that his marriage was probably about to break up and uh, just huge amount of stress. And of course, if he's 320 pounds and uh, smoking and has the family history he has, he had high blood pressure, he had high cholesterol, and he had uh, diabetes, everything. He was a train wreck. If he wasn't having a heart attack now, he's definitely going to have one down the road. Yeah. So it turns out the pain that he had was actually fairly atypical. It was a sharp pain. It was, I could tell it was probably musculoskeletal. Um, and uh, he'd but we uh, set him up for a stress test and uh, just to be sure, but I didn't actually think that this episode of pain was his heart, but I had a long talk with him and uh, I don't usually do this, but I just simply felt impressed that God was calling me to share with him the ideal for his life because it's so out of control. Um, he needs to hear it. Now, nowadays, we're tapped in with our church with a chip program and a full plate diet and diabetes undone. We run these back to back to back. So there's always a program to plug people in. I've now got pamphlets and brochures on helping to stop smoking. But this was early. This was, we hadn't even had an amen conference yet. We'd had just the first meeting. So I didn't have any literature. I didn't have anything, but I just told him, I said, Ron, I said, I don't expect you to do anything that I don't do myself. Um, but I'm going to tell you the ideal for your life. You are living so far out of harmony with God's plan that even though I don't think this is a heart attack, you are going to have one soon. I said, but let me just tell you what God's ideal is. 
I said, God would like to set you free from smoking. He'd like to set you free from uh, binge drinking. Both of these are habits that you're using to, alle to, to deal with all the stress that you're under. And if you ask him, he'd like to carry that load of stress. But the diabetes, the high blood pressure, the cholesterol, and probably the heart disease that you're going to have down the road are all a result of your lifestyle being completely out of control. And so, so I'm going to tell you that I'm encouraging you to ask God to set you free from smoking, from drinking. I said, I don't even drink caffeine, um, but I also eat a plant-based diet. And I think this is the ideal for you. Now, I would usually pick one of those things to work <laughs> you, on at the you beginning. You gave him the full plate. He got the full everything. And uh, ne never in my wildest dreams would I expect that to amount to anything. And then I, uh, but I then said, Ron, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Would that be okay? And uh, he actually started sobbing. Mm. And uh, he said, you know, I, I grew up, I think, in a Baptist church, but I haven't gone to church. And this is when he told me my marriage is a mess and all these mm. things. And uh, he said, he said, sure. And so I prayed with him and I prayed that God would set him free from alcohol, from tobacco, even caffeine, um, that he would free him from the stress that he's carrying and that he would help him learn to uh, eat a simple diet. Wow. And we did a stress test. My PA saw him back for that and I didn't see him for about a year. Mm -hmm. A year went by and uh, my nurse who likes to jump to conclusions said, oh, Ron's back and he's lost over a hundred pounds. Now, the ideal to lose maximum, you don't wanna lose more than about two pounds per week. Mm -hmm. He had lost about two pounds. He was down in the low 200s. He was off all of his diabetes medicines. He was off all of his blood pressure medicines. He was off his cholesterol medicine. He was no longer wearing um, cut off sleeves and a bandana. He was actually dressed in a shirt and looked like a peaceful guy. And she came out and said, I think he had his bariatric surgery and it was very successful because we never see anybody lose that kind of weight. She liked to jump to conclusions. And so I came in and said, Ron, you boy, you look like a whole new person. What happened to you? Did you have bariatric surgery? He goes, oh no, I didn't have bariatric surgery. So what'd you do? And he says, well, I just simply did what you said. And I says, what do you mean? He says, well, Dr. Schwartz, you prayed with me. And because you prayed with me, I went on a plant-based diet. I have not smoked a single cigarette since I was in your office. I have not drank alcohol. I got a new job. I've joined a church and my marriage is doing very well. Wow. And that convicted me that beyond anything else that I could do, there is power in prayer. And he said, it's because you prayed with him. So I didn't need to see him anymore. He had no medications, no medical problems. He was still gonna lose a little bit more weight, but he had turned his life around because the power of a prayer and the fact that I took a few extra minutes to talk to him about what God's ideal for his life was. Um, but the story continues. So I didn't see him as a patient. He was back to his primary care doctor. Mm -hmm. Five years later, Wow. Lindy and I went to what we call a homorama, a parade of homes where these home builders will build model homes in a yeah. subdivision. And these are multi-million dollar homes. You actually buy a ticket. A realtor friend of ours gave us two tickets to go to this homorama where we could tour, I think, uh, nine homes that are all at the $1.5 million range. They're all decked out with the latest of everything, home theaters, granite everywhere. 
huge lobbies and there'll be about 20, 30 people at a time that come through the home. And so Lindy and I, along with 20 other people, went into this, waited outside, went into the lobby and uh, stepped into the entrance. And there's this guy in a shirt and tie, um, this guy in a shirt and tie that I didn't quite recognize, but looked familiar, who was the host for that event, working with this builder organization. And he you know, ushers everybody in, he's looking at the 20 people and he starts talking about this home was built by uh, John Brown, who's a high-end builder. It's got um, 12,000 square feet, a home theater downstairs, a swimming pool, and he stops. And he goes, uh, wait a minute, I know you. Well, you're my doctor. <laughs> and instead of giving the spiel, he starts telling, he starts really, he's testifying. He's preaching a <laughs> sermon to the 20 people in the room that this is the doctor that prayed with me. He changed my life. I used to be smoked. I used to smoke and drink. I weighed over 320 pounds. He was now thin, clean cut, wearing a tie. It said, it changed my life. And he stopped and thanked me right there in front of these people. And I realized that this is how the gospel is going to go forward in the last Amen. days because Amen. he was out testifying for being set free from all the things that had enslaved him. And that convicted me right then and there that I have to pray with every single patient. That is incredibly exciting. I mean, if that doesn't inspire you to pray with your patients, I don't know what would. Let's kind of review four basic things that you can do to lead into those prayers. And then I want to talk a little bit about the theology of prayer and uh, why we pray with our patients, some broader reasons. But here's some ways. Dr. Schwartz has mentioned one that I've mentioned as well, that we ask permission. Mm -hmm. So one line of reasoning is at the end of our visit with the patient, we may not have talked anything at all about spirituality yet. We might say, as a Christian physician, I like to pray with each of my patients. Would that be something that would be uh, acceptable to you? So we've asked permission, and then we move forward. But I think it's very important to say, as a Christian physician, I like to pray with all of my patients. And so that then helps them to know that you've not singled them out, that it's not some fatal disease that you're praying over. So mm -hmm. that's one line of possibility. There's another line of possibility that may come earlier in the conversation that we've mentioned that, that we call the spiritual inventory. In the spiritual inventory, we might say something like this. People get support from various reason for from various areas of their life some people get support from a husband or wife some people get support from their faith um, is there a place where you particularly find helpful to get support in your own life when you're facing a health challenge this question would be asked when a person has a little more serious health challenge mm -hmm. there's a third line of reasoning that i think can be very helpful as well and that is it's a personal testimony. Mm -hmm. Each one, and it would go something like this. Each one of us have challenges in our life. Um, I've faced challenges when I've had certain habits in my life. This can come after you've discussed some of the practical things that a person can do to reduce the risk of disease or 
change the course of their life. Similar to what Dr. Schwartz had been talking to this fellow about this 330-pound guy, Ron, he, Dr. Schwartz mentioned the fact of the need of quitting smoking, the need of quitting alcohol, the need of getting on a plant-based diet, etc. After you've done that, each, you can then, rather than dumping simply health information upon a person, you can say, you know, all of us have challenges in our life. One of my challenges might be to get enough sleep. I tend to work too late. One of my challenges may be to get enough exercise because, you know, as a pastor, I, I sit a lot. And so it really takes a lot of discipline for me to get exercise. So all of us have various challenges. And let's suppose I'm talking to Ron. And Ron, right now, I know you're facing a particular challenge. And uh, that challenge has to do with overcoming alcohol and tobacco. But we all have challenges in our life. And may I pray with you that would... That, that God would help you to strengthen you in this particular challenge. So in that modality, when we're going down that line of reason, we identify with the person. We let the person know that they're not unique in the challenges that they face, but that we too understand those challenges. There's a fourth line of reasoning as well, where it is a question. Um, as we're talking to the individual, we might say something like this. For me personally, faith plays an important part in my life. And for me, faith is trusting God. It's trusting God's promises. And, and, and I, I'd love to share a promise with you from the Bible. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And um, I want to give you the assurance that uh, Christ can strengthen you. We have a little prescription pad that we offer to physicians. In, in this fourth line of reasoning, um, we take out that prescription pad. On the top, it says Jesus is the master physician. And you can write on that a little prescription that will talk about getting exercise four times a, or eat daily, getting exercise daily for 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, taking a walk. You can talk about reducing the amount of fat in the diet. You can talk about getting off tobacco or alcohol. You just write something on that little prescription pad and then write a Bible promise. And as you hand it to the person, you say, can I pray with you that God will help you to implement these things in your own life? So it's a Christian prescription pad that is available for amen. So these are some very practical things you can do. Now let's make a transition from there and ask the question, why indeed is it valuable to pray with people? Doesn't God, isn't God doing everything he can to produce healing in that person before we ever pray? Mm. Is God limited to our prayers? And the answer is this, simply this, that there's a great controversy going on between good and evil, that the devil wants to destroy your patient's health mm -hmm. and God wants to build it up, that this is part of a great controversy that the idea of sickness is, was never part of God's original plan. It wasn't God's part of the Edenic model that God had. So sickness was not part of that. God is the great, and Jesus is the great health restorer. Uh, Satan is the great health destroyer. So why pray? I think first, as we pray, we open our own minds as healthcare providers to God's wisdom. Um, you remember the story that Dr. Schwartz told of the anesthesiologist that mm -hmm. stopped and prayed for that lady. 
as he prayed, he opened his mind and the team's mind for the wisdom that God can give to help in the healing process. Because as healthcare providers, we have many choices that we can make. Choices of the, of the medication we may prescribe. Mm -hmm. uh, choices if you're uh, a dentist of just how to deal with this complex issue um, uh, uh, that you have to do in oral surgery. So there, there, there are many complex issues. And I think one reason mm -hmm. we pray with a patient is that God will give us wisdom mm -hmm. and to, in the treatment process. Another, another thing that I think really is helpful in prayer is this. Prayer calms our patients. Yes. It gives them a sense of peace because often when a person is sick, have you ever noticed that when you take a person's blood pressure previous to coming into your office, that their blood pressure will tend to run higher mm -hmm. than it typically does in a normal blood pressure. It does. Yeah, why is that true? Because they feel a certain- It's um, even higher if they go to the dentist. Yeah, it's even <laughs> higher if they go to the dentist. What about, have you ever done a randomized study of, of whether the blood pressure is higher, whether they go to a cardiologist, or whether they go to a dentist? <laughs> I always know that it's higher when they first come in than if I check it right at the very end. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is their blood pressure higher? Um, now that's an interesting one too, because you prayed with it at the end, mm -hmm. you know. But they're anxious about what we're gonna do. And then yeah. They're relieved at the end. Yeah, they have this mm -hmm. certain anxiety, this certain worry. Prayer mm -hmm. helps to calm the patient. It does. And it helps them to be more relaxed. And so I think prayer provides that, that, mm -hmm. that extra uh, peace, you know. I remember there was on one occasion that I was to speak at an unnamed uh, parliament a Congress in a South American country. And when I got there right after the Congress was dismissed, I had one of the congressmen come up to me and he was a Seventh-day Adventist. And he said to me, the president of our nation is gone. Our nation is in a very, very critical period of time right now. The vice president is running the nation and he um, has been up three nights in a row mm -hmm the medical professionals, the nurses are on strike. Mm. Um, and he said, a number of our professionals are on strike and this uh, vice president is under a lot of criticism. Would you be willing to go and pray with him? Now, typically those protocol visits will take you weeks and months to schedule. Mm. And he said, but let's go to the White House. So he called the vice president on the cell phone and he said, I have a friend here who'd like to come by and talk to you and the vice president welcomed us. We came, were ushered in, sat in a little waiting room. And as we were sitting in the waiting room, finally the vice president came in, no tie on, shirt opened, um, beard, you know, the stub of a beard. I knew that he had been up for two or three nights and um, he sat down. Now I learned everything about the vice president before I went and I understood that he was Jewish mm. and um, so we sat down and we began to talk and he just began to tell me all the different problems. And I began to talk to him about worry and anxiety and its impact on physical health, its impact on our decision-making process. And I gave him a little study that I learned from Dr. Schwartz and my other friends at Amen on anatomy and physiology. And uh, after that little study, I said to him, can I share with you what an ancient Jewish prophet once told a king and uh, what he shared. And he said, sure. And I read to him Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. 
And we talked about the peace that comes from knowing God, the peace that can flood into our souls. And I asked him that question at the end of the visit. I said, may I pray for you? And I did something you never will do with a public official. I walked over and I touched him. You know, he touched me. And I put my arm on his shoulder and he Uh bowed his head and and I prayed for him. After praying, he dismissed me. He said, you can leave, but I want the congressman to stay. And I felt nervous. Mm. I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You crossed something. I crossed something. <laughs> and I went out and waited in a little ante room, and the, and the congressman came out, and he had this huge smile on his face. And he said, Mark, I want to tell you what the vice president told me. <laughs> he said, people have been coming into my office for the last two weeks, and they wanted to get something from me. They wanted to get something from me. He said, that man came in, and he prayed for me. And he said, this was the, these were the best 15 minutes of my entire week. Mm. So as we pray for people, it brings this peace or calm. So why do we pray? It opens our hearts to receive God's wisdom. Second, it brings a calm, a peace to the patient. There's a third reason. Prayer opens us to receive the channel of God's blessing Mm -hmm. for that individual. And the healing power of Christ flows from the river of the water of life, from the sanctuary, through us to that individual. In the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, God himself has set up ground rules. And one of those ground rules is that God respects human freedom. God will never violate human freedom. But when you stand with a patient, and that patient agrees for you to pray with them, and you make the decision to pray for that patient, the river of water of life, that healing river that Ezekiel talks about, flows through you to touch the life of that patient. And there's a healing bomb that comes that would not come if we didn't pray. I love what Ellen White says in the book, Great Controversy, page 525, where she puts it this way, God will do in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not do did we not thus pray. It's not that God hasn't been working to produce healing in that person, not at all. God has been working to produce healing, but God is limited by that person's choice. Mm -hmm. But when we pray and they agree to have us pray, the power of God flows into their life. Mm -hmm. So invite your patience to that glorious privilege of praying with you and watch what God does. Doc? All right, so um, you've heard the theology behind it. You've heard some examples. Um, I absolutely believe that there is something about intercessory prayer. God does not force his way into our hearts and it does require our choice, but by bringing up the conversation and getting somebody to consent to it, we do open that door. I absolutely believe that it helps the patient be calm and it also has helps the patient believe in the physician that's doing the procedure. And then you mentioned something else that uh, struck a chord with me. There are many times that I have prayed with a patient and uh, something will start turning bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, even right then I'll say, Lord, I, I prayed for wisdom, please give me wisdom. And there have been many times that it's like, do I do this, do I do this? And just quickly something will flash into my mind that I believe is an answer directly to those prayers. 
that have many times helped me get out of trouble or avoid trouble. Mm -hmm. There is one question that almost always comes up and in just a couple of minutes, we'll have a, just the last you know, five or 10 minutes for questions. But there is one question that always uh, seems to come up in the seminar and that is what if you prayed for somebody that they're gonna be, that the procedure is gonna go well and that God would bless them and that they'd recover quickly and then they die from the procedure. And I have had that happen. Um, I have people that are coming in in cardiogenic shock, and I've had people coming in um, who've been arrest on the table, and once in a while, one of them will die. And uh, actually, though, to be able to go out and talk to the family, and I'll, I'll just, I just sit down and tell them, I'm so sad, so sorry to give you the snooze, and we've done everything we could possibly do, and we kept doing it, and there's no hope, and your loved one has actually passed away. But I do want to tell you, um, and they'll, and they'll cry, and, and, but then I said, I do want to tell you one thing. Before we started the procedure, I was able to pray with them, and they take such great hope and such great peace, and they're so appreciative that somebody stopped and prayed with them right before they died yeah. that most of the time that is really, really welcome. Um, I, I've had some patients say no, just a very few. Um, I try to respect that. I try, when they've said no, I try not to bring it up with them the next time. And back when I had paper charts, I'd read a little NP on the chart, so I'd remind myself of that. Um, but recently, I forgot that one of my patients, who's an avowed atheist, said, oh, by the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is Dr. Schwartz, Dr. Schwartz, remember, I'm an, I'm an atheist. Okay. And uh, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to keep bringing this up. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember. She says, oh, no, that's OK. But since you were going to take a minute to pray, can I ask you a question? And that in itself turned into a 15-minute spiritual oh, wow. conversation. So even just revisiting it um, can still open the door to a conversation. And conversation was about politics. But the second follow-up question to that is he says, you know, I've read the Bible five times. Um, but I just can't see that if God is a God of love, there can be things like the Holocaust and all these people starving and these children. And so we had a 15-minute conversation on the Great Controversy. When we got done, he says, you know, I've never heard that before. Wow. And so there are even a lot of atheists out there that are atheists because they see the God that is being reflected in so many false religions of our world. And uh, when they can hear what the Bible truly says and see this worldview that is completely different than what our world holds to, it can have the power to, to revisit that and open in his mind the idea. And actually, I was able to give him a book. He's read it, and we've been having conversations since. That's tremendous. I haven't offered to pray with him again but until he asked me, but I think one day that he might even ask me to pray. So let's see. We've got about 10 minutes left. We can either take a question by chat or we can take a question if you unmute yourself and i could keep telling story after story while we're waiting for questions but i pray christian prayers that's been very welcomed by my muslim patients it's been very welcomed by my jewish patients they know i'm a christian i respect the fact that they're muslim and they're not upset that i pray my prayer and i respect their values the one group it's either atheists or they're Jehovah's Witnesses that say, no, I'd rather not, I don't want to pray. But if I sense that they're Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I'll say, would you like to pray? Yeah. And I've had it now that after they've done that once or twice, the next time they'll let me do it and it's no longer an issue. So there's even ways around that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, one thing, uh, Dr. Schwartz, I think that's helpful too, is to understand that God has placed eternity in every person's heart. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Once I began to understand this, it made such a difference. Even the people that don't look like they are prospects for Christianity or that would say, no, don't pray. Mm -hmm. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says, he has made everything beautiful mm. in its time, and he's put eternity in their hearts. I love that. Yes. He's put eternity in their hearts. So as people walk into your office as a healthcare provider, we recognize that Christ has put eternity in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And they may not realize that, but that one simple sentence of saying, as a Christian physician, I offer to pray with each of mm -hmm. my patients, would that be something that would be acceptable to you? That may be the spark that ignites mm -hmm. the flame of spiritual life because eternity is in their hearts. Doc, I think we've got a question. Here. There is a question. I have to put my glasses on to see it. All right. The question is um, from Grace. How to deal with substance abuse? Do you, do you recommend Bible study contact struggling with drug abuse to go to rehab and how to send when they have no insurance and just out of jail? So Doc, that's you a jump in on that and then I'll jump in. That's a tricky question. So I think there's a couple aspects, but somebody with substance abuse, they may be impaired even in their thinking, and are we presupposing that they can even understand what a prayer is? But I think that they are enslaved, and the only thing that's going to set them free is powerful good news. They have to understand the gospel. Um, take smoking, for instance. I used to tell my patients routinely, I used to do this for years, you know, you should really stop smoking. Well, they know they should stop smoking. That's not the issue. And when I tell them that they need to stop smoking just by building up their willpower, I'm just asking them to become a legalist. And so it's really the power of the gospel that sets them free. So I do think um, that we have to tap them into the true source to set them free. I do believe that the gospel is powerful enough to set free even a drug addict or even somebody who's just been out of jail. Um, and I do believe that there is a huge power to putting them into an environment, I'd say even more than rehab, but like a lifestyle center or a program where they can be in a structured program that, that will encourage them, nurture them, give them good food, give them even hydrotherapy that we learned about this morning. Um, in a structured spiritual program, that that could be the very most effective place. It's a very difficult problem dealing with somebody who has no insurance and has no resources, um, but that's where benevolence has to come in, that we might even help um, someone to go. You know, in dealing with people that have substance abuse problems, I've dealt with this as a pastor on numerous occasions, and one of the things I like to do is something like this, to kind of play off what Doc has said. I ask them, Share with me a little bit um, about your story. When was the first time that you began to use um, these uh, substances? Um, do you remember the first time you smoked marijuana? Mm. Do you remember your first time? T tell me a little bit about that. What were the circumstances around that? They might tell me that they came from a family that went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. They might tell me that and I don't mean to suggest in any way that everybody goes through a divorce is going to get out of substance abuse. No, but they might tell me some trauma. They might tell me about mm -hmm. abuse that took place. Mm -hmm. They might tell me about um, uh, uh, 
being a bullied at school and they wanted to fit in. So that they're telling me their story. That story is going to help me a great deal. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that have started using substances have some story of brokenness, some story of sadness, some disappointment that has taken place. I want to know that because unless you deal with the root of the problem mm -hmm. of substance abuse, you're not going to solve the problem of substance abuse. So once they begin talking to me about that, I have found something that is, at least to me, really an amazing concept. If you understand unconditional love and acceptance, that keeps you from trying to find solutions in other areas like substances. And here is a simple concept. Do I have two minutes to explain yes, this? Yes, you do. We've uh, got four, uh, five minutes left. Okay, I can explain this in two minutes, Doc, maybe three. Why is it that God has created human relationships? What's the reason for that? Why did God create you having a father or a mother or a sister or a brother or a husband or a wife? Every human relationship that we know of is reflecting is in the ideal situation to reflect God's love. It doesn't always do that, but that's God's ideal. So does the Bible say that God is like a father to us? It does, mm -hmm. our father which art in heaven. But does the Bible say God is like a mother to us, as a mother comforts her children, so I comfort you? So God is pictured in scripture with the strength of a father. He's pictured in scripture with the tenderness of a mother. Mm -hmm. Is God's pictured in the Bible like a brother? Mm -hmm. He is. He's the one that sticks closer than mm -hmm. a brother. Is he pictured in the Bible as a, a friend? He is. Is God pictured in the Bible as a husband or a wife, mm -hmm. the intimacy of love? Mm -hmm. Why does God give us those relationships? Here's why. Because in the ideal situation, every relationship is to reflect God's love in the ideal. But what if that chain is broken? What if you have an abusive father? What if you have a mother that doesn't care? What if you have a friend that betrays you like Judas betrayed Jesus? Mm -hmm. If that happens, God is willing to bypass all those human relationships that should have reflected his love and pour that love directly into your heart. So what I believe in the substance abuse is we find out what the root of the problem is, often it's lack of acceptance. Then from there, we begin with helping people to know God's unconditional love. And at the same time, we instruct them in the eight natural remedies, walking and a good diet and, and water. And we stick with them and we see them consistently if we cannot refer them out to something mm -hmm. else. All right, there's one last question. And this is actually from India. Sometimes patients can accuse us of trying to convert patients when we pray. So how do we deal with that? that I'll ask you to answer that. That is very true mm -hmm. coming from India because there are anti-proselytization laws. So mm -hmm. in India, you know, you're going to be dealing with mostly Hindu patients. Mm -hmm. And um, my, what I've discovered is this. I've been to India on numerous occasions. And what I would say is this. To my patient, I would not start in with the question, if I'm in India, of Hindus. I would not start with as a Christian physician. I would say as a physician that respects prayer, many of my patients, whether they're Hindus, if they come from mm -hmm. a Christian background or no background, appreciate prayer. Um, would you, that be something you appreciate as well? Mm -hmm. And I think, so you don't start as a Christian physician. You say, 
um, as a physician, many of my patients appreciate prayer. Some of them are Hindus and many of them are. Some of them are Christians. So you lead mm -hmm. with a respect for Hinduism or Sikhism or Jainism in that particular culture, Doc? Yeah. And I have about a dozen Hindu patients, even in Dayton, Ohio, who are very appreciative of the fact that I pray with them. Um, not pushing anything more than that. I, I do wanna make the final point before you pray that my goal is not to try to convert them to my beliefs. My, my goal in praying with them is to let them know that I am a spiritual person, that I do believe that there's a higher power that gives us strength. And then when the right time comes, they will ask me a spiritual question. And when they ask me that spiritual question, and it's happened over and over and over again, where somewhere down the road, they'll say, Doc, can I ask you a question? And I've had this happen now, not just, I'm no longer just praying with my patients. I had a, uh, a car service ride with an Uber driver and I just got in a spiritual, I just said, by the way, can I pray for you today? Mm -hmm. And that opened the door to a spiritual conversation. I am now trying to be a person that lets everybody that I am in contact with know that I'm a spiritual person. And one of the ways I can do that is to pray with them. So this is trickling over beyond my professional life into everyday life. And generally, once in a while, somebody's offended, but generally people appreciate it. And that's, I think, what we're called to do. What you're saying is that prayers become a way of life for you. Trying to make it a way of life, Amen. yes. Let's pray together. All right. Father in heaven, how we thank thee that you have given us the privilege of prayer. How we thank you so much that the river of water of life from the very throne of God, the very life of God, the healing presence of God flows through us in our prayers to touch the life of another human being. Teach us how to be effective prayers for others. Teach us to reach out and touch others with your healing love so that they can appreciate your grace and goodness. In Christ's name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.